Welcome to a special presentation of Nebraska Farmcast, a podcast with essential information for essential decisions from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The Nebraska Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics is dedicated to providing timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications for Nebraska agricultural decision makers. Each week, our team brings you essential information for your essential decisions in live webinars covering a diverse array of farm and ranch management topics presented by experts from the university, from across the state, and from around the country. This series of podcasts offers audio from these webinars so you can learn on the go. To find a complete archive of all webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more resources, visit the Farm and Ranch Management website at farm.unl.edu. Good afternoon, and thanks for joining our webinar today. I'm Larry Van Tassel, head of the Department of Agricultural Economics. With wide swings in the stock market, employment, GDP, and other economic indicators, 2020 may well go down as one of the most volatile years since the Great Depression. How have financial lenders and their customers in Nebraska agriculture handled these shocks and what do they expect going forward? We're glad to welcome a panel of industry professionals to help answer these questions and more. I'll ask them to unmute at this time and introduce themselves. First, Ben Herrink. Welcome, Ben. Welcome. Thanks, Larry, for having us. Uh, to all, good afternoon and good morning to our uh, producers and, and agribusinessmen joining from the western part of the state. Um, as Larry mentioned, my name is Ben Herrink. I'm a farm loan specialist with the USDA Farm Service Agency, and I'm located here in our state office in Lincoln. Uh, I've been with FSA for 15 years. Um, I've held various roles across the state of Nebraska, uh, but really the last several years here, uh, I've, I've been in our state office and, and my role here is, is I, I handle really the debt collection and, uh, and the portfolio servicing for our entire uh, direct loan portfolio uh, across the state of Nebraska for FSA. So again, thank you to all. Thank you. We're also glad to be joined by Mark Jensen. Mark? Uh, thanks, Larry, and uh, good afternoon to everyone. Thanks for taking time out of your schedules to join us today. Um, as Larry mentioned, I'm Mark Jensen. I'm the president and CEO of Farm Credit Services of America. Um, we're headquartered out of Omaha. Um, I've been with uh, the organization 28 years, started off as an officer and, and serving the CEO role today. Um, I grew up on a dairy farm in eastern Nebraska, down by Syracuse, and am a 1992 graduate of uh, University of Nebraska with an Ag Econ degree. And thank you. Next, we have Ken Malin. Good afternoon, Ken. Hi, Larry. Thanks for inviting me to join. Uh, appreciate the opportunity. Um, I uh, am the Executive Vice President and Chief Credit Officer for the Bruning Bank. Uh, I am located in Kearney. Uh, I grew up on a farm in the extreme southeast corner of the state, Humboldt, um, and uh, that has shaped some of my uh, philosophies and uh, certainly has shaped my lending career. Great. We're also joined by Daryl Wilton. Daryl, thanks for joining with us. It's my pleasure, Larry. It's it's nice to be here. Uh, Daryl Wilton, I grew up in uh, on a small dairy dryland farm in southern Nebraska down by Superior. Uh, graduated from UNL in 76 and have spent that time since then in the agricultural industry the last uh, 28 here at Cornerstone Bank in York. I work in the lending area and uh, all different types of lending. All right, thank you. Well, thanks again to, for all of our participants today for taking the time to be with us. The format of today's webinar, will, uh, we have a series of questions that we'd like to uh, just put out there and, and let, the, um, uh, let our uh, guests respond to them. Uh, first question, 2020 may go down as one of the most volatile years since the Great Depression, with wide swings in the stock market, employment, GDP, etc. What, if any, adjustments have your lending institutions made to deal with the increased uncertainty and validity, especially as it relates to farm business borrowers? I'll ask uh, Mark if he'd address that first for us. Yeah, thanks, Larry. So uh, I can't agree more. This is 
clearly one of the most volatile and unforeseen years we've ever seen. I'm sure all of you would agree. And, you know, I did maybe just start off the, by answering the question of, you know, honestly, I can't really say that we've made huge adjustments. And let me tell you why. Um, you know, agriculture is all we do. You know, we're ag lenders and um, you're not in the ag lending business. If we aren't used to some level of volatility, it seems like at any given time, you've got an industry that maybe going through some type of cycle. So what we've really focused ourselves on is just positioning the organization to be here through those cycles. Um, you know, understand it's a, it's a volatile business and um, really try to understand how those uh, cycles impact producers and then what it's gonna mean to, you know, the future performance of both them and the organization. Um, you know, our overall philosophy is to, you know, be conservative during the good times and courageous during the challenging times. So that positions us to be, you know, available through those cycles. And, um, you know, we feel like we've, you know, positioned our capital position, our earnings and our overall capabilities and people uh, to be there during whatever agri agriculture throws at us. Now, with that being said, um, the things we have done specific to this year in, in light of what's occurred is, you know, I think one of the biggest things all of us could do as ag lenders is be there and be present and be there for your customers when they're going through those type of times. So, you know, I would say this year, we've tried to focus on that more than ever. Um, we've tried to also, you know, serve a role in education, whether it's the PPP program or some of the other, you know, government programs that came out with, you know, webinars or videos or whatever we needed to do to try to connect you know, the customers with as much information as you can, because, you know, during those volatile times, it's usually that vacuum of information that, you know, becomes the most challenging for a lot of folks. Um, you know, during this time, we've got a standard disaster assistance program that we pull off the shelf when something, you know, really drastic occurs, which, you know, if you take a look, look at the floods last year and the pandemic this year, it feels like we never put that program back on the shelf. Um, it seems like we're trying to deploy it all the time, but, you know, it offers cash flow assistant loans and uh, working capital assistance and, and infrastructure loans like what happened over in Iowa when we have a lot of facilities and bins that were blown down. So we deployed that program. We participated in um, uh, offering the PPP, um, really emphasized and, you know, try to be out there with our crop insurance programs and education um, over this last year. Um, you know, crop insurance still is the underpinning foundational risk management tool for our producers. Um, you know, lower interest rates did often offer an opportunity for customers to readjust their rates um, if that's available. So we tried to proactively get out there and, um, and uh, make customers aware that, hey, there are opportunities to lower your rate right now. So, you know, doing some type of conversion might be the right thing. And um, I think we did about 22,000 of those for about $7 billion, which saves our customers about $20 million worth of interest. So that was a, you know, a big effort this year. And then, um, you know, our ongoing focus on young and beginning programs and, you know, particularly during these more volatile times, making sure that those programs are available, that people are aware, and we're, you know, making sure people understand we're here to help um, not only the industry, but the young producers, which represent the future. So, you know, all in all, Larry, that's probably how I'd, um, you know, sum it up with, I wouldn't say there's massive changes. I think we try to deploy the capabilities we have, which are needed during these times more than ever. All right. Thank you. Daryl, do you have anything to add to that? Well, much like Mark, uh, there was a lot of uh, uncertainty within the industry, within the banking industry as well. We tried not to, we just tried to be stable and uh, be proactive for our customers. We did not make any changes as far as things that we were doing or things we were asking for. It was just basically a case of just being there for them for whatever they need and trying to be proactive again, with all the government programs and the available resources to them. Thank you. Ben, what could you add? Well, I mean, I'd echo the comments of Mark and Daryl. You know, as, as important as it was that FSA reacted and, and, and did some different things, and I'll touch on those flexibilities, it's also important not to overreact. And so, you know, an example of, of not overreacting, I think, on our part is, you know, we have planning prices that we set every year. And at the onset of the pandemic, when we saw a lot of volatility in prices, um, it was important for us not to overreact and, and adjust those prices. You know, we recognize a lot of the loans that we make at FSA can be longer term loans. And so I think it's important for us to recognize that, you know, we know everyone's probably experiencing short term stress in an operation and, and cash flow problems. But does that operation show long-term viability or, or has it shown you know, viability in the past? And so we wanna make sure 
you know, that were here in those times and able to continue to extend credit to, to those who, you know, may not be able to, to obtain commercial credit for the same reasons. Um, we wanted to make sure we had all options on the table. And so some of the flexibilities that we, you know, kind of rolled out nationally and certainly in Nebraska here is, is we allowed for extended timeframes for both loan processing, um, for response to servicing requests. Uh, we instituted a lot of, you know, we're by nature, FSA is kind of a, a customer facing agency and, and we really had to think outside the box, you know, like the webinar today, we instituted a lot of virtual closings, um, the use of, you know, authenticated digital, digital signatures, uh, you know, where we're not legally prohibited to do so, you know, to close loans. And so we wanted to make sure that we were as flexible as possible. We also still have a moratorium. Um, on any new accelerations and foreclosures. And, and that's kind of kept getting pushed back. It currently goes through, you know, the end of the calendar year. And, and we could see that go, you know, well into 2021. And I think that, you know, de-stresses some of our producers a little bit knowing that, that, they, that they've got some time there to work with. Uh, one of the big things that we probably knew to the board is, you know, as natural disasters are announced, we historically have had a program that allows a producer to set a payment aside to the back of their loan. Um, and that's for dedicated national disasters. We also were able to declare really COVID uh, a presidential disaster. And so that allows an operation uh, that we have a borrower that was impacted by COVID-19, which, you know, there's a lot of impacts and, and we see that quite widespread to take a payment and set it aside uh, to the back of their note to provide, you know, immediate uh, relief in their cash flow without a lot of, you know, undue hardship or extra paperwork from the producer. Um, our guaranteed lenders, uh, we're allowing deferrals uh, and forbearances there, you know, in some cases. Uh, and then I just want to touch one, you know, moment on the farm program side, which is, you know, kind of the separate entity of the farm loan side of here FSA. You know, we have a myriad of, of safety net programs that are out there and disaster programs. And so, you know, CFAP and CFAP2 ha have been major disaster programs. Um, and really under CFAP2, almost every Nebraska raised commodity whether it's crop or livestock, is eligible uh, under the, that program. And sign up for that program will continue through December 11th. And so I can't urge producers enough that if you haven't already signed up for that, you know, that's certainly money that's going to be out there and available to you that could be very critical uh, for your ability to repay not only this year, but, but for your cash flow prospects for next year. Um, 2021 ARC PLC is sign up is going on right now, enrollment. Um, and then we also have programs like dairy margin coverage program. So take advantage of those programs. Um, they're there to help producers. Okay. Ken, any, uh, any additional thoughts there? Um, I think one of the things we, we really need to, to do is, is educate customers um, on, on their financials and, and what we see in trends in the financials and really have honest conversations uh, about what we see and, um, you know, if, if something isn't working, um, we need to try to figure out why it's not working. And, and uh, you know, we've been in pretty tough ag economy for the last few years. So, um, you know, it's, it's this year is, you know, a tough year for some different reasons, but um, the main things are just communication, communication with the customers. All right, thank you. Our next question, have, sub, have substantive changes to underwriting been implemented to maintain or improve the quality of credit in your loan portfolio? Daryl, we'll start off with you. Well, thank you. Uh, honestly, we did not make any changes within our underwriting. And uh, the one thing we've started again is singing the praises of having a marketing plan just for our customers' use and being able to uh, have a plan for how you're gonna market your grain, as opposed to waiting until it gets close to cleaning out the bin and selling it. So otherwise there hasn't been any change. All right, Ben? Yeah, I agree with Daryl, you know, at FSA, no major changes to underwriting, um, you know, just by the nature of our clientele, you know, 70% of the, the loans that we made last year on a direct basis in Nebraska were two beginning farmers and ranchers. So someone in their first 10 years of operation. Uh, and then, and really the other part of our clientele is, is distressed producers. And so 
we, we by nature are, are a supervised credit lender that, that works pretty closely um, and has pretty thorough underwriting standards. Um, it's, you know, so no major changes there. Um, you know, access to land and access to capital are, are always barriers um, that producers who come to us are, are seeking. And so I think more of just a, a renewed focus on that supervised credit, you know, uh, a renewed focus as we move forward and kind of maintaining our communication as we've touched on with our borrowers, making sure we're getting out there when we can to see them. Um, because when, when times get tough uh, and the stress starts to mount, it really does fall back on communication. And, and you know, that, that reduces a lot of stress when I think that the borrower knows what options they have available to them and, and what their lender uh, is thinking. All right. Ken, how about you? Well, one factor I've heard a lot um, already this morning from the, the folks on the panel is stability. Um, you know, not making a lot of wholesale changes, um, just being consistent, underwriting consistent, um, treating uh, customers consistently, um, and not panicking during the tough times. And uh, I certainly think that's what I'm hearing from the panel this morning. So, all right, Mark. Yeah, I probably have a, you know, a lot of similar comments or echo some of the same things of, I wouldn't say we made any changes. Uh, I think for all of us, we all build our underwriting standards to kind of through the cycles and, you know, built around long-term viability. So, you know, really what we've been emphasizing is really a focus on the fundamentals. And, um, you know, I agree with an earlier comment that, you know, marketing management is part of that. If you think about you know, a three-legged stool, some really important skill sets that producers need today is one, they need really strong production management skills, which, you know, frankly, in today's world, that's pretty prevalent out there. A lot of people produce a really good crop. In fact, U.S. producers, uh, you can argue, are really good at production, uh, maybe sometimes uh, maybe too good, but we do a really good job of filling the bend, but a lot of times, you know, the other two um, legs in that stool, uh, marketing management and financial management are just as important, if not important. So the decisions you make when you pull the grain out of the bin is uh, maybe as important as the production uh, decisions you made to fill it. So anyway, a focus on the fundamentals and, and those skills is what we've really been reinforcing. All right, thank you. Our third question, as we wind down the 2020 harvest and begin to think about 2021 op operating lines, what's different, if anything, from years past? And are you seeing or expecting anything different amongst your customer base in, in regards to their financial condition? Ben, we'll let you start off there. Appreciate it. Um, you know, we, we, kind of, we kind of touched on it. Uh, unfortunately, you know, yeah, this is a pandemic here, but we've been in somewhat of a, a depressed ag economy now for the better part of a half a decade. And so I don't know that we're gonna see a whole lot different. I mean, we're fully expecting operations that fall short in being able to close out the year and, and make their payments. We'll, we're fully expecting that, you know, we're going to have to utilize all those tools in our toolboxes I mentioned to be flexible. Uh, we're, we're expecting additional servicing actions. And then frankly, we're expecting additional, you know, distressed and problem cases and, and bankruptcies continue to rise. Um, you know, producers liquidating maybe on their own or, or, or for other reasons. Um, but, but I think another part of this that you know, is really starting to build on top of the last several years and, and with the flooding last year and now with the pandemic is, is really what you alluded to, Larry, at the start in, in putting the screen up about, you know, the real response hotline and the suicide prevention lifeline, um, you know, in talking with those folks that, that run those programs, I mean, they're seeing record calls into those. And so, you know, the, the financial stress that we've seen over the last several years and, th and that we're going to see this fall that's tangible and we'll see that and we'll continue to see that and, and we'll know exactly what that is on those financial statements. But the, 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 the intangible part of that is the stress I think that's really starting to mount from a personal and emotional standpoint with our producers. And, and, and it's gonna to get to a point here where that stress uh, really starts to affect, I think the ability of producers to make sound decisions um, and, and lenders, uh, you know, we're, we're under maybe not as much stress, but there's stress in lending as well um, when your portfolio is doing some of the things that, that ours are doing. And so that stress can lead to decisions, uh, you know, by your lender that, that may otherwise not have happened. So I think 
learning to cope with that stress and communicate uh, is going to be important as we go forward here. All right, Ken. I think one thing we, we might see this year is some earlier renewals. Uh, uh, producers coming in maybe a little earlier uh, since harvest is largely done. Um, we'll maybe see people coming in early. And, and I would recommend to producers um, to certainly come in early. Um, you know, let's let's get a jump on the renewal season. And, and if there are some decisions or tough decisions that need to be made, uh, it's a lot easier doing that in uh, December and January rather than April or May. So uh, I would recommend to uh, producers to, to come in early. Well, you know, one of the things we haven't seen that we have seen a lot of this year is, is the government uh, help that some producers are seeing with uh, the PPP loans, the CFAP uh, money, uh, some of those things. So that, that kind of puts a little bit of a, a question mark. It'll help obviously, um, but how much we don't really know yet. So um, hopefully we, we, with the government help, we'll see some positive uh, earned equity changes and some positive working capital change numbers. All right, thank you, Mark. Yeah, I probably echo uh, you know Ben and Ken's thoughts of um, you know I think we're going to see a little bit earlier um, renewal season, which is a uh, is really nice considering the last couple of years. I think all of us have been pushed behind by a couple months. Um, but with that being said, I think we're anticipating this uh, renewal season to be maybe as variable as we've seen. Um, in other words, you know, if you're in one of those areas that had really strong yields, maybe took advantage of some of the marketing opportunities this last year, and then the, the payments on top of it, um, you know, I, I, we anticipate we'll see some, you know, fairly decent profits. With that being said, if you're one of the areas that, you know, didn't get the yields and, and um, you know, maybe uh, the marketing uh, opportunities weren't weren't there, then I think we're still going to see a stress in sort of the, some of the portfolio, which is really kind of a repeat of what we've seen the last few years. I think one of the things that we're probably, you know, maybe the most unsure of is just um, what are we going to see uh, around balance sheets around the uh, livestock producers? Um, I think we're going to see anything and everything as we, as that unfolds over the next few months, because I, you know, how the, the timing of where we're at in your, in your cycle of marketing your livestock, you know, um, the arrangements you had um, either in place or during the uh, pandemic, I think are going to have a lot of variabilities, but I think clearly the protein sector is where we're going to see, you know, a lot of volatility and a lot of inconsistency in performance of producers. So, you know, I was on the phone, uh, you know, at the, at the brink of, uh, you know, the pandemic and when that, you know, when we were losing the packing plant capacity and, you know, prices were collapsing and obviously uh, uh, profits were, uh, you know, right behind that. You know, I was on the phone with one dairy producer and they were losing at, at the peak of that around 10 million a month. Well, you know, just a few months and you're basically insolvent. So, you know, fortunately that, re, you know, that recovered quickly and, you know, patience was important and all of that, but, you know, just how that all played out relates to the balance sheet this winter, I think you're yet to play out. All right, Daryl, additional thoughts. I don't have too many. Uh we have seen so few of our financial statements so far this year, just uh, just limited numbers in, but the three we've seen have been excellent as far as what the year has provided for them. I know we're not gonna see that all the way through, but uh, at this point, it makes you feel a little bit positive. And I think that was helped by the different government programs that were out there, just really made a difference. All right. Well, Ken, we'll let you uh, start off on this next question. How have farmland values in Nebraska held up this year? Has there been a change in the number of farm purchase transactions? For example, more retirements? Well, to be honest, I cheated a little bit with this question. Uh, I called our largest realtor or land broker and auctioneer in our area. They probably cover about a hundred mile radius area from Kearney. Um, and what they are, what they told me they're seeing so far this fall, uh, are steady land prices in all all categories of land, um, in this area at least. Uh, they do think that maybe even uh, increase just a tad uh, as as the winter goes along. 
Um, those those prices obviously are being propped up by low interest rates. Um, you know, a little boost in commodity prices here recently. Uh, the government uh, payments, the additional government payments that were received. Um, so those are helping prop up up the real estate market um, in this area anyway. Um, you know, they said the 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 most sales are coming uh, with estates, um, estates selling some land, maybe some investors looking to come into the market uh, in ag real estate since the uh, stock market has been doing well, maybe liquidating and taking some of those gains and moving into the into ag real estate. And uh, there are retirements, um, you know, I have a customer that was looking at retiring uh, this year and would like um, some younger folks to take over the operation. Uh, but all year, that's been pretty tough uh, to think that will work um, when land purchases or machinery purchases will need to be made by those young folks. It's hard to make anything pencil. Um, you know, with a little bit of increase in um, uh, commodity prices now, you know, there's maybe a little bit more talk of that, but uh, I know at least two cases where a planned retirement where 2020 was going to be the last year, it's delayed for another year. So uh, we'll see how that trend uh, comes comes to fruition. Uh, you know, I do think there will be some retirements just with the financial stress that there will be, um, maybe a little sooner than they, they were planning originally, but, uh, um, you know, we'll see how that plays out. Mark. Yeah, um, so we've got uh, a series of uh, what we call benchmark farms located all over Nebraska that uh, our appraisal team goes and reappraises every few months and the, the latest information showing uh, or that's coming out of that data would show that you know basically like the last six months or so and even the last year that Nebraska um, cropland properties have basically been relatively steady. Um, we are showing a little bit of downward pressure on um, ranch properties or grass properties in western Nebraska um, but uh, both irrigated and dry land have you could probably be steady or maybe just a slight, you know, upward pressure, but I think overall you should, you could say it's steady. Um, you know, we've, we've been sitting around speculating on what we might see going in this winter. And um, if anything, we probably would project maybe a little bit of upward twick, tick, a little bit upward pressure going in into the winter months um, just because of availability of some of the profits by producers a little stronger, I think overall than maybe what we've seen the last few years. Um, and then I, you know, one offset to that, I had, we're in pretty close contact with a lot of the real estate brokers and, um, you know, what they're saying in at least early indications are that um, sale inventories are going into the winter as high as we've seen the last few years. So there may be more property on the market, um, you know, for a variety of different reasons. A lot of those are estate sales for the most part. Um, so, you know, will there be enough inventory that, you know, may, you know, prevent prices from showing any type of uptick. We'll see, but um, that's kind of our thoughts uh, so far, Larry. Thank you. Appreciate that. Daryl. What we're seeing is our irrigated ground and uh, we we're in 43 locations. So we, we kind of have a little bit of everything, but the irrigated ground has been stable to up slightly. But where we're seeing an issue is uh, irrigated ground, maybe with water allocations or dry land ground in southern Nebraska, we're seeing that fall off this year. So hopefully, hopefully we'll not see the deterioration in the uh, customers so much, but that is what we're seeing within our portfolio anyway. Ben, what are you seeing? Not a lot to add. I mean, I, I certainly would defer to the expertise of the other panelists. I would just say, you know, again, I, I see all corners of the state here at FSA and, and as a general observation, and, and I agree with the others, that I think good ground, you know, good quality ground is holding firm, you know, maybe even an uptick. But I think poor quality ground, you know, that's where we've seen uh, some sales come off a little bit. Um, you know, at FSA, this past year, and so that's basically October 1 of 19, just until this last September 30th, you know, we made 133 more farm ownership loans, uh, real estate loans, than we did uh, the year prior in fiscal year 19. And so I think that speaks to 
the demand that's out there. Um, we are seeing some more retirements. You know, we're seeing some liquidations of real estate in order to offload, you know, some of that debt and make the operation more feasible. So, um, and I think just in talking with some of our offices here this fall, last two weeks, you know, we're, we're still seeing those applications for real estate purchases um, come in the door. So I, I look for that to continue. All right, great. So Mark, we'll let you start off with this next question. Is there a sector of Nebraska agriculture that has experienced more challenges than others as a result of COVID? Mark, you're muted. Thanks, Larry. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, you know, maybe I'd mentioned a couple, um, one I've already hit on, but maybe I'll start with the ethanol industry. Um, you know, clearly ethanol demand, you know, dropped like a rock when oil prices did and um, production was nearly cut in half. So, you know, while we've returned uh, to higher levels, we're still not back to where we were prior to the pandemic. So, you know, that's one obviously I think was a, a direct impact. And then the other one I already mentioned is just the protein sector. Um, I think we were weeks, if not a couple months away from a potential disaster. Um, from a, two or three different angles. One, a disaster in just terms of um, profitability in the protein sectors. Um, you probably say we were uh, close to a disaster just from an environmental standpoint of if we had gone down the path of having to euthanize animals on mass scale, I, I can't imagine what that would have been like. And then the third angle is just long-term demand had we you know, gone through that type of a um, you know, long-term demand in terms of crop crop prices and and uh, where the grain industry would have been if we had you know had to cut out a large section of the of the protein sector. So anyway, you add all that up, I think we were you know really diverted a real disaster. And if nothing else, we found out how essential food is and uh, how essential our producers are to making sure we've got a you know a safe and abundant food supply in this country. So you know, fortunately, we didn't get to the point where you know that happened, but. Um, when you start hearing predictions of, you know, 50 million people standing in food bank lines, you know, if we had gotten further down the curve on that, I think that that could have been a real disaster for the country. So fortunately, we didn't get there. All right, Daryl. I would agree with Mark. The livestock sector seemed to take the brunt of it, at least initially, with the uh, ongoing tariffs, as well as the uh, break of the markets and the, and the packing plant fires. But... Uh, Otherwise, I think it was pretty evenly shared. You don't, you don't want everybody to have to have problems, but it, it seems like it went across the board. <clears throat> All right, Ben, do you have anything to add? Yeah, nothing major to add. I, mean, I do agree with Daryl. I, I really think almost every sector at some point was impacted um, at some level. And, and some of it was just when during the pandemic, maybe timing was more of an issue for some than others. But uh, you know, I, I think we, we've all been impacted and even our ag business uh, you know, businesses have been impacted, certainly so. Ken? Um, I agree with everything that's that's been said. Uh, kind of a little story of, of uh, how that um, happened in, in, in our world. Uh, we had some producers that were thinking they may have to euthanize some, some hogs. And uh, so um, me and a group of six other individuals got together and bought five hogs from a producer. And uh, one Saturday we went and butchered hogs. Um, so I can say that that's something that I'll never forget. And, uh, um, but I'm with Mark. I'm glad we never got to the point where that was uh, a major issue. But at the point we butchered the hogs, we didn't know um, if that was going to happen or not. So, um, I'm with Mark and glad that obviously that didn't happen. All right. The next question, in thinking about this past spring when COVID first entered the public's consciousness and planting season was nearing, what was the thinking of each of your institutions for how to deal with the uncertainty? How has that thinking changed as we've learned more? We'll start off with Daryl. I don't know. You know, we, we talked previously uh, on an earlier question about stability. And if you're, if you're a lender in the agricultural industry, you're used to uncertainty. And so are the people out there doing the planting and growing and uh, harvesting. So it's, 
really isn't anything unusual for them to face. Sometimes you wonder how you can sit there and uh, loan money on a farm operation where it's guaranteed to lose money according to the cash flow. But that's not always, that's not true until you get to the end. So we did not, we didn't play into the uncertainty at all. All right, thanks. Ben, what about FSA? I think our initial thought was, you know, buckle up and, and we'd love to have a crystal ball, but, uh, you know, all joking aside, you know, we just wanted to make sure that we were going to be as flexible as possible, you know, ag and certainly production ag, you know, doesn't stop in Nebraska when a, when a pandemic hits. And so as we've gone on, we just want to make sure that, that we're communicating with our borrowers and producers that they know what's all available to them. And so I think, the, you know, I, I, I challenge people to over communicate because I just don't think you can do it, especially during a year like this. And so as we go on, it just comes down to, you know, we have a lot of tools in the toolkit. Um, you know, as, as Mark mentioned, you know, you dust off some old ones, you come up with some new ones, but, but at the end of the day, you have to make sure your borrowers know what those options are to them and that they exist and then help them make a decision or let them make the decision about which ones, you know, may help their operations. So. Ken, how about from uh, Bruning Bank's perspective? Well, we, um, you know, kind of through the middle of the, the pandemic, um, as adversity was starting to hit pretty hard, you know, one of the things we talked about was, um, you know, looking for opportunity in, in the face of adversity. Um, whenever you hit some uh, tough times, uh, somewhere there's an opportunity and, and just trying to, uh, and I feel that way for farm operations too. There, there are some points in time where there's an opportunity um, when things may not look very good, um, but somewhere there's an opportunity. So, um, you know, stay, staying stable, um, you know, being consistent with our underwriting and um, looking for potential uh, uh, diamonds in the rough. All right, Mark, how about farm credit? Yeah, I don't know if I've got a whole lot of new things to add. I'd probably echo the same things. I mean, if, if nothing else, um, you know, it was a great reinforcement of the fundamentals and how important they are, both in terms of lending practices and, and preparing yourselves for all the volatility as well, and as well as, you know, what that means on the producer side of things. Um, I think this was mentioned earlier too, patience, um, not overreacting and, um, having confidence in your, your customers and uh, your ability as an organization to, to adapt. Um, and then, you know, if there was a reliance on anything that I think we all found out how critical it was, was our, our reliance and how successful we are in using technology, both to run our business as well as uh, work with customers. Uh, I don't think we ever could have imagined we would be having as many meetings with our customers via Zoom. Um, I think traditionally we've always seen that as across the desk or, you know, across the pickup uh, hood. So, you know, how that played out and how we were all able to, you know, provide, um, you know, credit to agriculture during a time when it needed it most, when the country needed it most and it was essential was really important, which probably leads in just the last thing. I Hopefully as a country, we, it was a good wake up call to the fragility of a food supply and how important it is. And to even think about the loss of that, you know, again, I hope that was a wake up call to the, the importance of agriculture and agriculture production long term. All right, thanks. Ben, we'll let you uh, take the first shot at the next question. Have delinquencies ticked up during 2020 and especially the third quarter? How about defaults? Do you anticipate an increase in financial hardship from farm businesses in the fourth quarter and next year? Ben? Yeah, I mean, the short answer is, is it's hard for us right now to, to measure kind of the third quarter at this point, but, but in general, yes, I mean, we've seen uh, defaults and delinquency rise. And, and if I just kind of look at it from a, a production year standpoint, I mean, at FSA, you know, our, our first year installment delinquency for, for basically new loans that we made last year um, is 5% right now. And, and really the three prior years that averaged out to about 3.7%. So, so, you know, definitely, you know, we're seeing a rise. And I think it's important to remember again, you know, 70% of those borrowers that we work with are, are beginning farmers and ranchers. And then, and then we've got some distressed producers that we help. So the nature of who we help certainly adds to that risk. You know, our, 
our balance sheets are going to be a little tighter. Our, our liquidity is going to be a little less uh, in our clientele. You know, our our dollar delinquency in our in our entire direct portfolio at FSA um, is only about 1.1%. And that's relatively small given, again, the last half decade that we've seen. But, you know, it does represent an increase over 0.6% uh, from the three prior years. So, I mean, it's almost doubling. So we're, we're certainly seeing, uh, you know, a significant jump in those delinquencies. Um, on, on our guarantee side, um, you know, for lenders that we provide uh, guarantee credit to or, or, or support to, uh, the three prior years, we've been kind of hovering right around that 0.9%, um, you know, kind of overall portfolio delinquency. Uh, in 2020 here, that's been elevated to 1.5%. So again, relatively low, but, you know, a, a decent spike there. So I, I think we look for that to continue. Hopefully, you know, some, again, the, the disaster payments that we've talked about, the government assistance, um, just the flexibilities that some lenders like FSA and others have have been able to provide some forbearance and set aside some payments, you know, maybe that cures a little bit of that delinquency. All right, Ken. You know, we haven't seen too much of an uptick in, in delinquencies, a um, little bit um, of an uptick in, in default, um, but really not on, not on, in the ag side, um, have a few commercial businesses that uh, have struggled through the pandemic with a severe loss of revenue and, and uh, that kind of thing. So um, we have seen a slight uptick, but really nothing that we're, we're terribly concerned about. Hey, Mark, what are you seeing? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say really anything to add. I mean, third quarter has really been steady. I really couldn't say you've, we've seen anything significant that we're mentioning, but you know, really it'll be next, you know, April, May, where we'll have a better indication of that with a lot of the real, with a lot of the payments coming up over the next few months, you know, we'll get a better sense. So yeah, kind of same comments. Daryl, anything different from Cornerstone? Uh, our delinquencies are not related to COVID. They were, uh, we brought those in over the course of the years before this. So it's nothing related to the pandemic, but uh, it will, it'll be interesting to see as we move forward. We're not seeing a very big uptick in anything, so. All right, thank you. Well, the $1,000 question now, what everybody came to hear. Um, we'll let you start off with this, Ken. Can you offer some advice to customers or potential customers about things they can do right now to help position themselves for the next year? Knowing that we likely will have some ongoing uncertainty due to the political cycle and the pandemic uh, status. So Ken? Uh, marketing, marketing, marketing is one thing that um, we see that can can significantly change the outcome uh, of a farm operation. Um, we we try to to talk to our customers about um, you know having a marketing plan and and executing it and understanding it and uh, you know being consistent with a marketing plan. Um, that's a huge risk. Uh, for our borrowers, and and we do see this this happen with a customer that maybe wasn't using, uh, or didn't have a marketing plan, or wasn't using a marketing professional, and then they decide to a, a year or two later, and you can see in in the balance sheet and cash flows typically that um, they do improve. So it it does help, uh, and and with the volatility we see in the commodity prices, um, you know. Taking, taking advantage of some opportunity when they arise uh, is very important. Um, and making sure you understand the marketing plan, what the risks and the rewards are in that plan and uh, executing it. Uh, one of the things too that we, we've talked a lot about over the last few years, is maybe an enterprise analysis um, where maybe you look at the grain side of the operation or the livestock side of the operation and does each side do they do they uh, do they make money? Are they uh, are they profitable? And uh, you know, in the last couple of years, we've even had uh, talks with customers about you know different pieces of, of land that they farm, doing an enterprise analysis on those uh, farms to see if they uh, 
are profitable for the operation or 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 not and if they're not then maybe get demarket those uh properties uh from the operation um one of the most important things too is surrounding surrounding yourself with a a solid team uh the team a uh, few of those people on the team should be lenders uh, accountants lawyers agronomists uh, you know somebody with with some expertise in technology um, so surround yourself with a solid team and and uh, you know just just manage the business it's a business and uh, you know do everything you can to manage the business thank you mark what advice do you have for the audience well, you know, the first one uh, I probably mentioned, uh, you know, since we got a football game coming up, I'm going to use the term pile on because I'm probably piling on on Ken's comments around uh, skill sets. You know, I'll go back to, you know, the fundamental skill sets of being a really good production manager, being a really good marketer and uh, being real good, really good at financial management, I just think are going to be imperative uh, going forward. So what skills do you have to develop? Or what, uh, in terms of those skills, do you need to hire out? One way or the other, you need to need to have those, I think, to be successful. And, you know, financial management is just as important. I mean, Ken was talking about, you know, enterprise um, enterprise management or having the, the ability to kind of dissect your operation and understand where the profitability is or isn't um, is really essential. So, you know, just talk about this all the time, but you know, if you're selling corn at four bucks and your break is 410, don't brag too much about that sale. So that's really what it comes down to. So you got to have all those, all those skills. You know, the second one I'd probably mention is just thinking about your overall business model, you know, let's say five, seven years out. Um, you know, how is it, how does it need to evolve? How does it need to change? How does the evolution of further technology fit into it? How does the use of data fit into it and how you're going to run things in the future? How are consumer demands changing and what does that mean for agriculture and, um, you know, the types of crops and diversification you may need in the operation longer term. And then that all fits into just the structure of your operation on how you run it and, you know, how you leverage labor and everything else. Uh, I think all those things are part of a, you know, longer term thought process that, you know, I'd encourage everybody to think about. And then, you know, just another one and it kind of goes along with each of them is, how do you define success in your operation, you know, longer term? So, you know, for example, um, are you looking at trying to maximize ROA? Are you trying to maximize ROE? And those could be two different things. I mean, is it about asset accumulation or is it about, you know, leveraging and trying to get the highest return off of, you know, the finite use of capital that you have? And, um, you know, there are different ways to try to maximize your existing capital to grow your operation and grow your earnings versus, you know, buy another farm to, you know, to earn enough money to buy the next farm. I mean, what is your goal and how are you going to measure success? Um, I think in the future with, you know, the capital intensiveness of the industry, thinking about how you leverage capital um, and, you know, what you define success around it is going to be really important. So that's my response, Larry. All right. Thank you. Appreciate that. Daryl, what would you have to add? Well, I would echo the marketing and knowing what your costs are, are of production is so that you can make a wise decision when the time comes. The other side is in times like this, expense control is kind of important. And whether that be family living or within the farm operation itself. And the, uh, the third big thing that really sticks out is, are you fully employed? And that's a hard decision for you to make as a, as a producer because you're thinking, well, I'm busy. Well, but not all during the year, maybe in your operation. So making sure you're fully employed or is there a space there where you could do something else to bring in additional money into the operation? Ben, before you add your uh, bits of wisdom here, excuse me, Ben, before you add your, your bits of wisdom here, uh, I'd like to remind the audience that uh, if they have any questions to go ahead and, and uh, type them in the Q&A or the chat. Uh, this is the last question we have. So we're open to any other questions that the uh, audience may have. So Ben, do you wanna go ahead and take us home on this? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I certainly would echo what the others have said. I mean, about, about being proactive in marketing. Um, I, I would echo what I know what Ken said earlier uh, in the webinar about 
you know, making sure you get in early. Uh, you know, we're at November 5th right now. If you're done with harvest, I mean, it's not too early to start planning for next year. And it's important, I think, that when you build your, your plan and your cash flow, um, because I, I do think it's important right now to have a cash flow first off, but when you build that plan, make sure it's your plan. Uh, and if that plan is, is not feasible, you know, for 2021, then what are your contingency plans? You know, have, have thought about plan B, have thought about plan C. So when you work with your lender, you know, there aren't surprises. Um, and and there's, there's too many surprises outside of, you know, things that you can't control, but maybe things that you can control, try to, try to reduce those surprises. So, you know, what we talked about enterprise analysis, what things can you do to improve efficiency, to improve um, feasibility? Are there any non-income producing assets that you have that are just sitting there that, that could be liquidated to, to reduce that debt load. Um, and I, I think, you know, especially for FSA um, folks and, and borrowers that we deal with, you know, we're usually not the only lender they have. There's, there's debt on the street with suppliers and co-ops and, and, and we're participating with other, you know, commercial lenders or farm credit. And so it, I think it's important that when you talk to maybe just your primary lender, you've also communicated to the other suppliers uh, and creditors you have, because if you're going to have trouble making your payments, you know, again, be proactive. What what opportunities or, or plans might they have available to extend repayment terms? Um, you want to have all that stuff maybe worked out, and, and maybe it never comes to fruition that you need it. But if you do, you know, you don't want to be behind the eight ball, you know, next April when it's time to be back out in the field, and now you're just having that first communication with the lender, you know, in three or four months about not being able to make your payments. So. So I would just I, I would you know echo the thoughts of the others, but just make sure that you know you have a plan A, plan B, and plan C here. All right, thank you so much. Uh, we do have uh, a number of questions that have come in so far. I'll I'll read some of those and I'll just open it up to to any of our panel members here. First one is if the Federal Reserve would ever get the ability to manage financial institutions in quote unquote separate bands, for example, top 20 financial institutions versus community banks, where would you prefer farm slash ag credit institutions be placed? In a separate band or where? My hope would be that we would be in the uh, separate bin away from the largest institutions. Uh, they do things a whole lot differently than we do. They have a whole lot different, uh, they have a different operation than we do. And it's nice to be in an area where you are working with other banks or other operations that are similar. Anybody else have anything to add on that one? You know, Larry, I, so maybe um, put what Daryl said, maybe in even a little bit different way, but I think it gets across the same point is uh, the risk in, in uh, financing agriculture are unique and uh, probably unlike any other industry, um, you know, particularly with weather events and the kind of things that um, face our industry that a lot of industries don't. So um, wherever you bucket you put it, you better have an understanding of that. Yeah, All right. All right, the next question. Are local farm lenders a good source to find property? I've been looking for property for more than a year due to the unique requirements for truffle farming in Tennessee. I would say the more uh, feelers you can put out uh, to, different, to different places, the better your opportunity will be to find something. Uh, there will be from time to time that uh, as lenders, we have customers that uh, we know are looking to sell some, some real estate. Um, so just touching base and, and uh, talking with uh, a local lender um, may be helpful. It may, you know, nothing may become of it, but it certainly could. So it doesn't hurt, out, hurt to reach out and, and put out feelers. Okay. The next question I'll, I'll, I'll ask in two parts. The first part, what do we do once CFAP, CFAP2, PPP, and EIDL loans evaporate? 
where, where, where are we going to be as an industry? Well, prices are going to move up during that time, so we don't have to worry about that, right? <laughs> so, so we'll make it in the markets. Uh, no, I think there is. There's always been a a government ledge for the agricultural industry, where they have been able to put things out as needed, maybe not what we wanted, but as they felt needed. And I think going forward, we're going to continue to see that until we find stability within the agricultural markets. Yeah, and I, and I agree with Daryl. I think that's a question that, that we all ask. Um, and, and it's nice that, that the government payments are there in times of need, but I think if you're a producer, um, you know, the goal is to try to plan uh, to have a, a productive and feasible operation you know, that doesn't need those payments and that they're only there as a bit of a saving grace um, in, in the times of need. And so it's challenging. We're certainly in a time frame, I think, where those payments are, are helping. And, and I, I know on our portfolio, um, they've allowed for us to kind of keep our delinquencies down and some of our loss rates down. I think to some degree, they'll always be there um, in times of need, but it's about, I think, looking internally at your operation and, and figuring out, uh, you know, without the use of those, you know, where again, that enterprise analysis, where we can be feasible going forward. Okay, and the second part of this question, what incentive does China have to fulfill its obligations now that we potentially have a change in presence? Well, may, maybe I'll make a, a few comments and uh, I'm gonna stay away from any of the, whether that uh, uh, means we have a different uh, change of president or not. So I guess we'll see how that plays out, but I, I probably go back to you know, there's there's the aspect of our trade agreements, but then there's also the reality of the needs of China, and you know they're they're trying to rebuild a, a swine herd over there right now. They're trying to um, feed that swine herd. They're trying to um, reestablish some of the uh, stock um, inventory that they had on hand that they depleted uh, quite significantly. And you know, you've got a growing um, country, both population wise and economically. So. Um, you know, there's there's an aspect of the trade agreements and the political side of how we work with China, but there's also the uh, reality of the the needs back and forth between these two countries, and you know how that plays out and how politics impact it. We'll see, but um, there's a there's also the reality of the needs that China has that, um, in some way or another, either directly or indirectly, probably are going to be filled by the U.S. That's my thoughts. Okay. Uh, next question, any comment on the potential amount of land ownership transition, which will occur over the next 10 to 20 years? Now, Ken answered this. He typed in and said, I believe at least 40 to 50% of the land ownership will turn over in the next 10 years. Uh, anybody else have any uh, thoughts on that? Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I would agree. I, I think if you just look at, you know, the baby boomer generation and, and you know, where that age range is right now, that transition is going to have to happen. And so, you know, the baby boomer generation's kids are getting to that point kind of in their, you know, life where, you know, they're starting to accumulate some assets and, and have a little more maybe flexibility to go out and grow their operation. And so I think that is going to lead to purchasing power on one end, but on the, on the baby boomer generation, you know, the, the, the sale off, the sell off. So I, I think when you combine those two, we're going to see plenty of ground movement. Good. All right. Next question. I, I, I think, Mark, if I recall correctly, this is a, a question in response to one of your comments. Can you expand on the comment of maximizing ROA or ROE? Where would one invest if maxed out on available labor resources and wanting to keep those dollars invested in the operation and not in the stock market long term? Yeah, um, you know, probably the best I could respond to that is kind of what we're seeing is, um, you know, I think it really depends on the operation itself. So, you know, how is that individual operation capitalized and, and really structured for the long term? But in terms of what, you know, some of the things we are seeing and some producers that are wanting to focus at least just as much on ROE as ROA as they're taking a look at, 
okay, well, how can I, um, how can I diversify my income stream, whether that's, you know, investing in some other type of enterprise or off farm late or off farm income or whatever that might be, or, you know, what's another type of business that may or may not, you know, integrate in with my existing business, or do I want to fully diversify into something else? Um, we see, you know, some producers looking at uh, agritourism as another one of those, you know, avenues. And I'm just using that as an example. And I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is I think it's, those are individual choices based on the type of operation. Um, but, you know, overall, the point I was trying to make is I think that's a reality for producers in the future. Um, I'm not sure that, you know, 99% of the producers in the U.S. are in the Midwest long term are going to raise just corn and soybeans. Um, you wonder about how that's going to evolve over time. And, you know, I think the challenge for producers is just thinking about that and thinking about how their um, individual operation fits into how that evolves in the future, both in terms of how it evolves economically, but um, it evolves around consumer preferences. Okay. The next question, what in your opinion would be the advantage of taking lower interest rate loans over a longer amount of time, for instance, EIDL loans, net positive or net negative, and what would what would what should we be aware of not doing? Uh, what should be aware of not doing it or accepting the EIDL loan? Anybody got any thoughts? So one of the things with the EIDL loan that um, can create an issue is is SBA will take a security interest on. Uh, UCC assets, machinery, equipment, livestock, um, those types of things, and and um, you can you can do that, but that may may kind of limit your borrowing power down the road um, if you need to to um, have some initial uh, additional borrowing on those assets um, because FSA or uh, SBA will have a, a lean, potentially a lean ahead of you. And so I think that's one of the things that, that we found out at least early on, uh, some folks didn't understand and, and uh, uh, can create some issues down the road. Uh, SBA would have to approve, um, uh, you know, a subordination to allow a lender to jump back ahead of them on a subsequent loan done after the IDL loan. Okay. Yeah, and Ken raises a good point. I, I mean, I, I would also just add that I, I think, you know, every operation is different. Um, they're at a different point in their life. They're at, at a different levels uh, of, of strength that they may have in their operation. And so for some operations, maybe that, that have some real estate equity, uh, maybe it's better for them to restructure some debt, put it against that real estate at a, at a lower rate, at a, at a fixed rate, um, and go about it that way. There's going to be some operations maybe that don't have that availability of having you know real estate equity to turn debt out over, and so maybe for their operation, you know, they need a quick infusion of short-term cash um, into their operation. And, and in those situations, you know loans like that EID DL loan uh, are going to be used. Okay. Well, we're at the end of our our time here. Uh, we appreciate our panel and uh, all that uh, they have done for us today here got a lot of great insights and thank you everyone for joining with us today. A reminder that a recording of the webinar will be posted at farm.unl.edu where you can also register for other upcoming webinars. The series continues next Thursday at 1 p.m. with a look at livestock risk management and livestock risk protection coverage presented in collaboration with USDA and the National Extension Risk Management Education Program. Uh, you'll be receiving a short 30-second survey in your mail, email, and we would really appreciate your feedback on today's webinar and your input on future sessions. Thanks again for joining with us, and I'll, I'll let our, uh, our panel members uh, make a final comment or just say goodbye if you want. Uh, ben, we'll start with you. No, I Thank you, Larry and, and, and University for, for hosting these webinars. I, I think they're great for everyone involved and, and we just appreciate it, anyone that was able to join today um, and certainly the questions, they're all great questions. Right. Mark? Uh, same thing, the, you know, thanks Larry for the opportunity to speak to the group and thanks everyone for joining us and uh, thanks for your support of agriculture, it's essential.
Daryl. I would just uh, say what the other said. So I'll pass it on to Ken. Okay, Ken. Um, thank you, Larry. And thanks, thanks everybody for attending. Uh, the fact that you attended uh, is a good, good show of, of uh, you know, it's important for management purposes and your management of your, uh, your operation or business or whatever the case may be. So okay. thank you for attending. All right. Thanks again for our, our audience. And I apologize for those questions we're not able to get to, but I think we had a great discussion today. Hope everybody has a, a great afternoon. This has been a special Nebraska Farmcast presentation of Extension Farm and Ranch Management in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To view or listen to more archived webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications to guide your decision-making, visit farm.unl.edu.